Welcome to episode three of Beyond Music. Today, John and Sylvia are joined by Dr. John Beaulieu, a world-renowned speaker, composer, pianist, and naturopathic doctor. Dr. Beaulieu has pioneered a technique called biosonic repattering, a natural method of healing and consciousness development using tuning forks and other sound modalities based on the sonic ratios inherent in nature. I'm in this journey with sound by myself, which I love, but it's also a journey of relationship. The essential inquiry today is what is beyond music for Dr. Beaulieu, and how can we make the secrets and benefits of sound healing more accessible to everyone? We hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Talking to John Beaulieu, I'm talking not just with a colleague and uh, someone that I collaborate for more than more than 25 years, I'm talking to someone that is very close to me as family. So I'm extremely happy to see you here. So I, the, the, when something important in our lives happen, this is the first phone call that I do and you too. So this, but everything happened because we have something extremely important in common that I think it needs to be remember, re-revelated, if we can say, you know, reawakening again, which is what happened beyond music. That's the place where I met you. We met, well, I, I, heard, I had your books when I was living and being a psychotherapist in uh, Spain and South America. I, had, I read your books in Spanish. And then I kind of, you know, you read many books. We both are connected with what I call the the spirit of uh, of uh, the deep spirit of investigation and expansion and evolution, and then suddenly we met in this sound healing conference in 1998 yes. uh, or 1997. Those great just... concerts from that uh, Jeff Volk was organizing in Divine Santa Santa Fe, in the, right in downtown with all the beautiful boutiques, and here we are. And we met, and and there are all these people called the sound healers from here and there. And and John one night did a concert on a piano in this hall, and John started playing the piano, the actual playing the piano, and clusters and and super harmonics and banging the piano and playing inside the piano and outside the piano. And I, I was there with my late husband, which I also met at Mills College. And here I am, finally in my, in my absolute, in my absolute zone. And here this incredible sound colleague, sound person, and playing, playing the piano. And when I look around, no one else was there. Me and Michael, and Michael and me were almost the only people in the audience. Everybody left because they wanted beautiful consonant harmonic music, right? <laughs> That's what they want, right? <laughs> yeah. So I say, okay, this is my friend forever. So we have this very interesting uh, uh, connection between avant-garde with what they call avant-garde new music, playing the instrument and exploring the instrument as sound. Uh, being psychotherapists, we are both psychotherapists, you know, I'm most Freudian, Lacan, and then transpersonal, all these, these evolutionary aspects of understanding what we say the unconscious and it's, now is 
we call it also consciousness. <laughs> but what I wanted to say is my first question to you, John, what is really beyond music here and now for you? Because we are both in this connection, also John Bierman, we are interested in what happened beyond music, because we've been so en energetically involved with music, you know, I ended up doing the most difficult music, North Indian classical, so ragas. So what is for you now, here and now, 2021, October, beautiful fall, New York, upstate, what is beyond music for you? Well, I want to say that the, the term music is in the ear of the beholder. So music is sound. And beyond music, in other words, is sound, this sound. You know, and there are any sound has the capability of being labeled music. You know, obviously, we look back at our history, we say, well, when, when I was younger, I was at Georgia, and I pretty much spent my summers there, and I learned how to play blues harmonica before anybody heard of it because my uncle uh, would take me out to the black row houses because he was construction manager and it was just people that worked for him and the first time i heard notes bent was there i was like 11 years old i felt chills going up my spine because of the of the beautiful of the different sounds different to classical music which i'd studied and different in straight 12 tones i think it's the first time i realized that if you took the note C and the note C sharp, there's a thousand, a trillion, an infinite number of tones between those two and a half step of music. That's what we do in Indian classical ragas. I, I, exactly. You know, that's what the blues musicians do and so on. And they, they're listening to these other sounds. But you gotta remember, I'm there in like 1959 Right and every you know and, and my my went home and, and, and did the, the bending of the note for my parents. They thought the devil had taken me over. <laughs> and they, and my they, what they said. What about Chopin? What about Bach? You play Bach so nice. <laughs> I said, what are you doing this for? You're gonna ruin your ears. They're all friends. Yeah, I know, but they're my friends too. But they said I'd ruin my ears, and and that rock and roll, of course was bad in those days too, to, to older, to your parents. But now, if you think about it, every kid has an electrical keyboard with a, with a wheel on it. They bend notes like crazy. They make all kinds of weird, strange sounds like crazy on their instruments, and they love it, you know? And, it's, and, they, and the people that thought that the blues with the devil's music and rock and roll and so on, now, of course, the blues, they think the blues is great. <laughs> so. Well, I always, you know, I always fell in love of uh, the one quality sound, the drones. I'm a drone, you know, person, and and when I when I when I heard Lamont Young playing drones all night, you know, and all over, and those liminal harmonics and overtones, I just say, okay, this is beyond music. <laughs> You know, like those drones, those incredible, I mean, drones that got, that change with color, you know, even like a little bit like the music of Brian Eno, all that was for, for me, the beyond music uh, bridge, you know, the place that allowed me to go into this investigation of sound as a therapeutic possibility. Well, so I think it's the, I wonder if, Music, as we think about it, is the composer composes music. Well, I think there's composers within composers within composers within composers. 
And when you learn just to listen, then you're listening to composition. And you say, you say, well, who's composing that? That's an interesting question, because then you get beyond the normal concept of, you know, I'm going to put my will on that music. You know, I'm going to, I understand composition quite well. And I could see, I could see places for it, but there's also places for just walking down the street and listening to the composition. You know, and that, and you say, is that music? Well, the person next to you would say, no, that's the noise of the traffic. You know, <laughs> you know, but, but you have to say, wait a minute, for me it's something different if I could slow down, be with it. Do I have to be in a concert hall to listen to music? Do I have to go to concerts to listen to music? I mean, no, beyond music, that's beyond music to be. But beyond music is every sound possible could become music, you know, if you could appreciate it correctly. You know, so... So beyond music is deep listening. Beyond music is quantum listening. Beyond yeah. music, for me, here and now, is the discernment between what you call, John Beaulieu, being inside the interval. Talk a little bit about being inside the interval, please. Well, an interval is a, it's a technical word we use uh, between but two notes. It's also called a ratio in mathematics, but you have a C and a G. And now, of course, it's only been in the last 300 years we gave that numbers, like a, a Hertz number, like a, so a C256 cycles per second, a G384, but they create like two walls. They create what in, in Pythagorean time was called a sacred space. So one's consciousness enters a sacred space. And within that sacred space, you basically will find, especially with the C and G interval, which we know mathematically cannot resolve, it's an imperfect number, an irrational number. So therefore, it's, it's a vortex, a spiral with a vortex. And as you enter into C and G, there will be always a place of absolute stillness with inside the sound. Beautiful. The journey, yeah, and the journey into that stillness is infinite. The, the stillness is like a, think of the stillness as a chimney that goes up and down that you can fall into and get off anywhere, right? So, uh, but once you have the stillness inside of you, then your consciousness will take you on a journey through the, through the spiral of C and G. The beauty is how we journey between, in between. You know, that's another thing that we have in common with John is that we are never, uh, I would say, content with uh, one experience of this particular interval. We keep going inside the interval and finding different moods according to how you dress the interval, the space that's that the, the actually the, the circumstance where the, in the, the framework of the interval. And this is what the Hindustani classical music, especially, you know, Drupad, because it's more ancient and comes directly from the Vedic tradition, that what we are doing in, in this particular form of musical Drupad is, is in, in the metaphysics of it, is the, the definition is searching for the North Star. 
searching for that place that doesn't move, <laughs> steady place. But at the same time, it's a search, it's a journey up towards the infinite sound. And, and in, the, in the mathematics of that is just being very slow and careful of noting the modulation within that very, what we think is a perfect interval. But in, in classical Indian music, it's just intonation. So all the intervals have this, this quality of sounding against what we call the ground, this particular tone. So it, it, it's interesting. What I want to bring into the field here is all the possibilities that we could share with our students, our you know, colleagues and through teaching of how sound can also take us to a journey of investigation between intuition and intellect, sensibility and structure. It's, it's beyond playing music. This is what I'm interested in now, how we enter in the journey with any instrument, but at the same time, we are beyond the journey. We are, we are, we are kind of, of uh, flowing in this energetic field that take us to the unknown of sound. What, what yeah. sound is, is, is everything. So there is a place of attraction. There is an attraction to work with sound because it has so much to say without saying anything, just pure one sound. And when we do two sounds, there is more information. And if they, we do three or four or five sounds, we enter in the art of melody. And that is when, uh, you know, the more sophisticated music starts. believers at that point because melody connect us with emotions right but what happened John when when the music not necessary or the sound not necessary connect us with emotions like John Kay said the music is in this world not to connect with emotions doesn't need to to connect with emotions the music is, is music is sound so what do you think about the relationship between the emotional aspects of music or sound and the abstract art? Basically that if you look at sound and you look at, uh, Dane, there's a book by Dane Rudyard, another composer, astrologer, he called this concept of magic, tone, and tonality. And you start looking at say shamanism, you look at the healing arts and sound, you look at classical music and, and classical raga emotion, the word, you know, the raga is the color you remind with emotion. Rasa. Rasa, yeah. So, so you can't just eliminate all that. But then the question is, a sound, if you, is basically a sound. A sound does not have emotion, right? A sound doesn't have meaning in, in the normal sense. The sound transcends emotion and meaning. You know, so uh, a math, a frequency is just a frequency. 
But then you ask yourself, that's true. But then you can take a frequency when you can appreciate it, when you can transcend all, mindfully transcend all emotions, mindfully transcend all thoughts associated with the sound, whether it's the devil's music and so weird. You transcend all of that as this sound. Now, when it's just sound and you appreciate it, it leaves itself as a vehicle as to be a carrier wave for intention and emotion and thought. So you can actually embed something into the sound. So you can embed emotion into the sound. That's what classical performers do. Uh, you can embed an intention. That's what healers do, a healing intention. So the sound, when it's appreciated, also has this other element of emotion, you know, and it has this other element of intention and thought. Uh, so you can hear a shaman blow a whistle. And that whistle is just unbelievably powerful. It's not just the sound of a whistle, it's something else embedded in the sound. Right? So, but to get to the something else embedded in the sound, I think you have to take everything out of the sound to the pure sound, and then you can, you can take things in and out of it as you like. I think as a musician, as a classical musician, uh, you, you want to ask yourself, you say someone like, here we have Vladimir Horowitz and Arthur Rubinstein, and they play the Chopin, both play Chopin, and it's both beautiful, but someone says, I prefer Rubinstein over Chopin. It's the same notes, it's the same everything, basically. <laughs> so, what, you know, so what's happening is that the, the musician themselves is embedding into the sound feeling tones uh, that aren't there just as a sound. Otherwise, they'd be Dr. Stock and Star Trek playing the piano. You know, so <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, we are back to where I, uh, where I would like, where some of uh, the secret uh, intentions of this uh, podcast that we started with John, which is uh, to reawaken the spirit of investigation. Uh, you know, reawakening the idea of, you know, deep listening, going beyond just playing something and realizing that the same music played by Rubinstein or someone else, you know, at that level and will sound different according to who is listening. And the, the listener become part of the, the experience, the space. And then comes the other aspect of music that is not necessarily emotion, which is time. Music is time. And when I listen to, like I went to, to hear the opera the other day, and I like it, I love the music. I didn't like so much the staging, but I really, really like the, the, the music. And I could discern in that room, like acoustics, all the different colors of the choir and the cellies and the and the, so there's something about listening to music in a beautiful room that makes better listeners probably it's interesting because i hardly ever listen to recordings anymore i just like to walk around and listen to sounds i haven't found any i don't like to listen to but again it's sound that's put in place by a by a composer to embed something in it in other words, they're trying to match it up with the images. Yeah. See, I don't want, I don't want to do that. I mean, I have no ink. The music, sound and music is a huge field, you know. And if someone said, John, we want you to make your living 
by matching sound to visual images for a movie, I would say it's not. I can't do it. You know, I, I don't want to do it. I'm not interested in it. You know, I'm not. You know, I, I'm not interested in playing rock and roll either. You know, so uh, that doesn't mean I don't like it. I'm just not interested. In, I, I was never interested in being a, a full-time performer, for example. So John, are you are you practice um, daily? Like I know you're a teacher. You you have business. Um, do you do a practice daily? Before, yes, I. If yeah. I do a lot of I, I, every day, I meditate mm-hmm. with mantra every day. I've done it for the last fifty three years. I've wow. never missed. Wow. And since nineteen seventy four, I do Tai Chi every day. I studied with Chig Man Ching. Uh, another I, another thing in common we have. Yeah, and uh, before I left Indiana, I had black belts in karate and judo, and I got to New York and I met Chigman Ching, Chigman Chinese master Tai Chi. I said, "That's it. I never. This is it. I know." So Tai Chi meditation, and every day, as long as I have my pianos and stuff, I talk to my composer friends. Like for instance, recently I've been playing uh, Schumann's Tamrai. Uh, you know, so I just, but I do that and I, imp- I improvise it. I'm just coming out with a whole series of improvisations and Franz Liszt's lists, Spiro and consultations, you know. So I'm still doing classical, but I'm making up my own classical. That's thanks to you, Sylvia, the darn, because uh, Raga, I said, this is crazy. I love this Raga. Why didn't, cla-? but then I realized all classical music, those, those people improvise in the beginning anyway. So I said, let me just go back to classical improvisation. It's a beautiful liminal, the ragas are the yeah. beautiful liminal on, uh, you know, infinite space between sensibility and structure, in, in between discipline and liberation. I don't know what to say, but when you, when I feel like I, the raga is within and I can convey the, the experience of the raga, uh, I think I feel in, 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 that I, I that I am in that I'm lo- I'm in love. Can you explain you know? raga a little bit more for raga is raga is for is many things, but I would say is it musically is uh, is a particular tonal arrangement or melody that conveys uh, that is that develops with rules to go up and down and around the notes and develops a particular relation internal relation between each note with the next note and the power of raga is that how you connect the notes each note with the with the other note and the notes that you are not hearing which are the shrutis so the raga is a journey between this particular, I would say, connection or, or um, system or I would say configuration of notes. And then when you enter in the raga, you start seeing images, you might convey particular emotions, and you have this, the space of infinite. You can do 
millions, incredible amount of improvisation within those five notes or seven notes or 12 notes, because there is 22 and a half notes in between. So we have 22 and a half notes scale. And, um, and then the whole point is how you listen in between. And then you are, you, every raga has a name, a deity, a color, a time of the day, and a way to always feel different. But basically, there are, there are melodies that are almost like uh, scientific, uh, spiritual. They have a scientific, spiritual quality. They combine science, mathematics, possibilities, but all from intuition and organization. My divine um, guru, my uh, first divine guru and forever, Ali Akbar Khan, would say that ragas are moving between the delicate balance between fantasy and organization. Because we've been working together so long, Sylvie, because, you know, I, I didn't know that much about raga before I met you. I was exposed to it, but I wasn't that interested in it. And then as I heard you sing and I heard more raga, I became more interested in it. But and as usual, I took it and recirculated it through my own creative self and came out with my own version of it. <laughs> but, but basically, see, the thing when you come to cl like classical music or music is that we all have spent how many years learning our trade? And you think, why should we become elitist? Because, yeah, I want to train this with the tuning forks, for example, with my different lyre, piano lyres. I like instruments that aren't instruments. Something that just makes sound does not require that one trains in music, but one trains in listening, communicating, being present, you know, mindfully playing sound. Uh, and then what will happen is that you'll go the same place without all the musical jargon that you may talk, the raga jargon, the classical music jargon, the counterpoint, voicings, you know, all these things, because no one's going to understand that. But I could take, for example, on a piano lyre, uh, where you just pluck the strings and there's no notes per se, people, and, and tell someone to make sounds or tap two tuning forks and make sound, and they'll go to the same places I might go to with all my music training. And if I took someone at the piano, a normal piano, and said, sit down and look at the keys, they all try to play something. There's nothing worse than someone who had piano lessons that tries to play a tune they learned <laughs> as a child. Yeah. John, you have given you have given tuning forks and music, and the possibility of being feeling like a sound in healing. 
to so many people. I, the, your, your great gift that I've been thinking before we are doing this, this particular session is you are giving everybody to, uh, the tools that they can listen beyond okay so you i there's there's nothing and no one that that did that so with such a mastery like you you gave people this tuning fork and everybody i know is using them yeah and i'm i was a student in sylvia's class and john came and talked um talked about tuning forks and and i um i went out and bought some myself and i am not a trained musician i've I learned myself. I play by ear. I don't. Um, I don't have nearly one iota of the uh, training that you guys have. But um, I, I found them to be um, powerful tools, and I still have them. I was that was like eight years ago, eight years ago. Um, and this is a this is something that when we talk about beyond music, this is exactly the type of thing that I think that we're talking about here because it, it's something that is like hard to describe but for me as somebody who doesn't you know john can maybe fill in some of the gaps of the this is what he's done for a long time um, but for me I, I feel something happening i don't know how to describe it but i definitely feel better and i feel something from these tuning forks there i have a c and a g and i have the other one um that's the the vibrating one yep. um and maybe you could talk a little about how it's um, kind of measured, you know, the, the feeling of uh, these uh, tuning forks, because um, I'm not, I'm not a scientist, and I still feel it. Um, you know, I don't know how you how you quantify it. <laughs> well, well, I think there's, there's all kinds of different ways to there's quantification and qualification in a way. And basically, the if you take, we talked earlier about C and G, which is, if you look at that, it's, it's, it's the beginning of what's called the Fibonacci series uh, in mathematics. That's exactly how your body grows in the womb. It's proportions of your body. It's proportions of your neural networks. It's very common mathematically to the, to the most integral structures of your body and clear into the core system of your brain with the thalamus, the third ventricle, and so on. And so you listen to this space and within, through sound is creating space, and in space, you go to the pl you go automatically to a natural place inside of silence, and when you get there, then the question says, you know, what's happening? So in the modern world, in, in the ancient world, they go, well, <laughs> that's that's basically the uh, it's a chakra, you know, this is the, this is the chakra of the heart, the silence inside the heart, the biofield. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the biofield or whatever. But that's the modern word for it. But, but no. But now we say, what happened? So then I go to a laboratory, and I take the same sound, the C and the G, and I subject it to biochemistry. You know, and we find out, lo and behold, that if you have cells that are uh, flatlined in terms of the structure of a molecule called one nitri nitrogen, one oxygen, nitric oxide molecule. Uh, which is antibacterial, antiviral, anti-tumor, right? And it's for the vascular, neuronal, and immune system. It enhances them. So now, all of a sudden, you take heart tissue. That's basically this molecule is not rhythmically cycling through the, through the tissue. It actually is rhythmic. Whatever, you know, so it rises and falls in a six-minute cycle. Three minutes rising is a gas. Three minutes falling, falling in your heart tissue. When it's not present... Right when you see it, 
uh, you can't measure it. We measure through special means through the gas. Then that means that you basically are a candidate for a stroke, you're a candidate for vascular disorders, and so on. Uh, so therefore, you listen to this interval, and all of a sudden, you see that molecule immediately. I mean, literally, in microseconds, the tissues begin to rhythmically secrete that molecule. And that creates what we know in science now is called a relaxation response. And that's good for your whole body and every tissue in your body. And so you could say the very thing this, that you're listening to is a form of meditation. We, if you just listen to it once a day, twice a day, no more, for a minute, it's that quick it reacts. So, it, 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 but again, we just we need to describe it in terms of mathematics and biochemistry, whereas the ancient described it in terms of chakras, the Anubhava chakras. You know, so it's a matter now of quantitative and qualitative, right? And and I think ultimately, and, and when you look at the, for example, the talks of Wolfgang Pauli, who was one of the great quantum physicists of the 20th century, with Carl Jung, who was one of the great psychiatrists and you know, obviously into the archetypes of the, of the chakras and the elements and vibration, they said the only way that we can ever, ever know anything is through both quantitative and qualitative. Yes. Our world, yeah, and our world has become more quantitative. And more when we came to frequencies and numbers, we lost track of qualitative. You know, in fact, we live in a world of boxes. If you want to be in a computer world, you've got to be in the box. You know, and, and that's quantitative. I think it's an important discussion. You know, even that, what you're just saying right there, yeah. is, is an important discussion to have um, because we do uh, really go the quantitative way. And now we, yeah, we I, and that's why I asked the question because I think a lot of people want to know that, but to take it and break it down the way you are, that's an important uh, point for sure. Well, look, what, look what I'm doing. I'm giving people quantitative sound, right? Every one of my tuning forks has the exact numbers on it. And I'm asking them to have a qualitative experience. There you go. Right? Yeah. That's it. That's 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 exactly what I set out to do. And mm -hmm. this is this is this is what I like to bring the idea of yoga because that's where we we uh, teach with with John all over the world, literally. You know, we go around at different places, different uh, cultures of listening, and we teach the what we call the yoga of sound. And we feel very comfortable with that term yeah, because right. yoga has to be with young, with, with not young, but young, yeah. which means putting things together to, to get to a higher level of quanti right. a, a qualitative listening, qualitative, uh, ex you know, experience of well-being, uh, a better body, etc. So there are many yogas, but what I wanted to say is that my experience with the tuning forks is that it makes me feel very, very in tune, relax my nervous system immediately. I have all millions of them because John gave me all them. And But there's something else that I would like to say that is I enjoy highly, I highly enjoy seeing the tuning forks becoming part of a piece of music. So I love when John and there's another friend. Uh, I, I don't. There's not many people that can do that perfectly, nicely, beautifully, musically. But John and Philippe, you know, they play all these instruments. So Philippe is a study with John for as a disciple. 
Uh, she lives in France, and Philippe Garnier and John, and they play them. And they create this kind of, I uh, hear is their Senaki's influence, uh, it's this mass of sound. When I studied Senakis at Mills College, it was all about mass, about how you get masses, M-A-S-S, sounds, yes. and then you work with them and then discern them into architectures of particular melodies and more sounds, and everything was uh, grandiose. <laughs> and everything can be, de can be de deconstructed. And this is the beauty of the tuning forks, that they can be used for therapeutics, for, uh, for fun, for enjoyment, or they can be also be included in amazing pieces of music when people listen in between. You know, so they, I love when they play three or four or five tuning forks, then, I don't know, they start making these, these ragas, right? Yeah, we the, the ragas, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we have are. an experience yeah. for a while with John. We created, John created, uh, you know, I, I help uh, with my knowledge of raga for the past 40 years. Next year will be 40 years that I'm singing ragas. Uh, and I, I, um, we and, and John created the the raga, raga tuning forks with right. all the thirteen different notes that would create these 24, 22 uh, microtones. Remember? Yes, I have them. They yeah. were not very commercial, <laughs> but you know. But we have it, and we enjoy so much making music with them. So then you have this again beyond sound, beyond music, yeah. and and what John John Bierman's uh, uh, asked in the episode number two about shamanism and how the shamans listen. They say, "What is the what is this six? There is a sixth sense." And I say, "Well, maybe it's the sixth sense is the beyondness." Remember? Yeah. Yes. That. Yeah. I, I want to say also, so we understand of the. the not all tuning forks are the same. Uh, if you know, I, I set out from the very beginning to make tuning forks that would sound all the overtones uh, or the harmonics. And a lot of tuning forks, if you have steel tuning forks, they won't do it. If you have good aluminum ones, aluminum alloys. Uh, but I like to say that I make the Steinway of tuning forks. I designed the tuning forks to be not only not only for healing, but uh, but also for concert, right? So they're really concert instruments as well. You know, so I wanted musical instruments and I wanted healing instruments combined. Right? So we, that's what I called biosonic. You know, it's, uh, I, I had a question. We, we were talking about qualitative and quantitative, and I, yeah. um, I was just thinking as you guys were talking, isn't qualitative subjective to each person and quantitative is sort of a consensus of scientific evidence yeah well quantitative the word quantum in quantum mechanics means to take and you quantify vibration right so if you go back to the vedas or in india or even the alchemists in europe they didn't have the concept we have a frequency it's only been i think 
uh, a couple, 200, 300, 250 years ago that the tuning fork was given to Hondo by his, one of his students. Right. Yeah. And and, yeah. and in fact, some of the musicians when they first got it, they thought it's the funniest thing in the world. What they said is tune to this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they just sit around and hum what they wanted and tune to it. So the concept of frequency is new. But if you right. say what what did they have before frequency? They had vibration. You could just put your hand on something to feel it vibrate. You could uh, tune into something vibrating slower or faster. So the chakras are the in in uh, the chakra system. Earth is slow. Water's a little bit faster. Fire's a little bit faster. Air's a little bit faster. In other words, it's a continuum of vibration from slow to fast that one quantitatively tunes into, versus labeling it as a specific frequency. So people always ask me, "What's the frequency of the chakra?" Like somebody knew it a thousand years ago. <laughs> I have a spontaneous question here. It's more like an inquiry on this, uh, if I allow, I allow to say. Is this about time? I mean, is, are we talking time when we are talking, uh, you know, this, this quantitative experience? Well, well there, yes, we're talking about cont continual re-perceptions of time. Right, because you become into the stillness. Like when I was in the anechoic chamber, I go to places as far as I knew there wasn't any time. Right, I could I would go into other dimensions. I you know you know the because the, the, once you're in there and you're you're not have anything external stimulating your because all the vibrations bounce off your skin. So you're in the anechoic chamber. There's no vibration bouncing off your skin. Right, you are now completely isolated in a way. You know, as a vibrational being, and so you go inside, and when you go inside, you're able to do things that the mystics talked about. It just becomes, you know, part of the listening to the mantra till the sheath you, of the mantra unwinds into the, to the nothingness. Do you think that we should have anechoic chambers in schools? <laughs> well, actually, we were talking about putting them in, in shopping malls at one point. Shopping malls, before, yeah. Yeah, before COVID hit, we had already, uh, uh, I have plans for putting them in shopping malls. Nice. Uh, so, so people could have a moment of silence in the mall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, it's very interesting, but there is an acquaintance. There's one in Berkeley here. I went there after John talked to me so much about it. And they're always conceived as sacred places. Yeah, yes. It's very interesting. They don't they don't let people know about it. And I've been researching and one of my students helped me and finally we went there in uh, the, the, the UC Berkeley. So there it's interesting and I think why one way to um to kind of uh, round this beautiful and interesting conversation is about what is secret in sound at this time of your incredible expanded experience as an avant-garde musician, psychotherapist, yeah. um, natural doctor, I mean everything you've been doing and, 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 and a, an architect of the best tuning forks in the world. So what is the secret in sound? Yeah, well, I think we said it before that it's, to me it's right relationship, meaning that I could go into silence. I've been in the anechoic chamber all by myself. I went to these places, but I find this journey with sound that I'm taking that 
I'm not interested in being an elitist with it. I'm interested in bringing more and more and more and more people into it. They don't, in other words, not just trained musicians, not just people who are studying music, but everybody, everybody, you know, and therefore I would call the secret to me isn't so much I'm in this journey with sound by myself, which I love, but it's also a journey of relationship. So therefore we do, we teach, we do concerts, we do whatever we can. So that's the want. sacred for you? That's sacred for me. That's the most sacred uh, you know that it's that's the heart. You know what I mean. I think I think yeah. I, for me too. I think uh, you 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 describe it is is the interconnectedness of 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 f feeling that we are all in the same in the same uh, listening zone, yeah. and that we are all uh, creating something that is beneficial. That's great. We're we're contributing, and also the, the idea that I could take someone who doesn't have years of music training and they could play a, a tuning fork or a but that person, Yes, but that person can, can teach a music therapist to be a healer. Yes, well they go places that they couldn't have got to if someone told them you can't get there if you're not a musician. Music therapists are primarily focused on special populations, right? you know, psychiatry and so on, and they do a good job. Yes, uh, but, you know, and, we, and, we do a good job. Yeah, and also I I work with those populations, and I wanted originally that music therapy that my work be contained within music therapy. I saw it as a form of music therapy. The problem was is that my work was for everybody and not just for special populations. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. It, as when you get a degree in music therapy, um, is it are they teaching qualitative, or is it all quantitative? Yeah, there's a lot of, there's more and more now, there's wonderful uh, universities now that offer music therapy and they're more open to uh, not just uh, conventional conventional music or classical yeah. European center music. Uh, yeah, there's, there, there is an opening, but, uh, but I like to also consider the beyond music aspect, bringing more um, the idea of, uh, of pure sound. So I just got hung up on the, the idea. Obviously, I've been hung up on quantitative versus qualitative, but I'm, <laughs> I'm seeing uh, the word qualitative to me is sort of this this uh, subjective personal um, effect, and quantitative is a more scientific based. Yeah, no, no, no. Is that wrong? No, yes, yeah, wrong. Because qualitative science is called phenomenological research. In other words, it's been around for thousands of years, but it's been really part of the Western tradition. When I taught science, when I taught research at university, the first thing I taught was the concept of phenomenological, where you qualitatively observe yourself, right? And then you, you do your best to keep a baseline and quantify your observations, not necessarily in numbers, but at least in ways that could be measured. Qual quantitative means to measure. You know, right. Qualitative means you're that you now observe your experience experience of, personal experience yeah, of, yeah. you know yeah. and then phenomenological research is just a way of making that more uh systematic you might say uh now the chakra if we look at the ancient physicians for example they're using say the chakra system with the five elements that's very misunderstood that's a qualitative system based on one's ability to tune into 
uh, and feel vibration. My, my teacher in psychiatry was a man named R.D. Lang, and R.D. Lang said, before you do all your drugs, before you do all your, your, your diagnosis of behavior, you have to know the patient you're working with. You have to qualitatively mm-hmm. merge with them, and, and then you will know what they need. You cannot know it through quantitative means. You can't know the whole truth. You have to have both. But you see the same thing with, with doctors who don't know the difference between emotional pain and physical pain, and they hand out opiates. You know, because the emotional pain is qualitative. You know, how do you, you can't quantify emotional pain. It's mm-hmm. qualitative. You know, so they're trained in quantitative medicine, not qualitative. I Which That's I think is fine. It's, it's just a teeter-totter. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I'm happy for quantitative medicine. I've certainly studied it, you know, and I like it. And I think there's a place for it. I went back to do that kind of science. But you can't eliminate the qualitative either. Right, One, and it, that's as you're saying. It sounds like there's been less um, qualitative practice in, in yeah, the West because in the, several yeah. decades. In, the, in, our, decades. in our institutions and in education, the qualitative is way out of balance. It's right. it's, it's unrespected. Uh, I think that's the same thing politically now. We want to see more blue collar workers and more people studying the trades and stuff versus going to school and learning more quantitative do things. You, do you think you it's know. going to continue down that road? Well, it's like anything. I think it's going to. It's going to swing back the other way to some extent, but it may have to bottom out in quantitative. Uh, I don't know. Uh, certainly, what, one of the reasons I don't work in hospitals anymore is I probably spend 80% of my time not talking to patients, but writing what I saw in patients in a computer. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. I mean, when I go see my family doctor, he, he looks at the ceiling and writes in a computer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. And he's supposed to know me. You know? Uh, yeah. But from the inside out, forget it. I, I'm a life coach, and I'm going to focus all my skills on consciousness and relationship and honoring quantitative, but learning how to be qualitative as well. But the beauty of this is that you're, 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 you have a, a, a powerhouse of knowledge and experience, and you, um, you have, you know, you, you're right in memory all the time. So what I'm saying is, I, uh, even if you're, you know, thinking that you're going to be a life coach, like myself, you know, I have an incredible background in, in psychoanalysis. So again, I cannot just take it out of my heart, my, oh, no, my no. back. You know, I like, and more and more now these days that we've been 19 months, you know, as a world traveler, being 19 months in one place, sitting in the same chair, and talking to people in a machine. I mean, I've been coming, I became more Lacan than ever, Lacanian, meaning I've been, I've been writing poetry. I've been, I've been doing this kind of uh, Japanese one brush improvisations. And I can, I have started listening more and more to um, the, the source. I got more connected with the source of where everything is coming, which is, um, as you say, relationship, how I am related to music. I'm a musician, right? I write music all the time. I listen, I sing music. But how, how is my relationship with music? So that's why we came with this idea of beyond music, because right. music is, is all over my place. But at the same time, I feel like the relationship 
it's very important. You know, I miss relationships. So what happened is you have to recreate this, re this relationship within other form of creative expression. And that's when I want to bring everybody to the party. I want to bring the music therapists. I want to bring the music psychotherapists. I want to bring the, 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 the those called music, music and music medicine uh, practitioners, uh, sound healers, and, and really have a conversation and go deeper into the investigate, uh, go deeper into how we listen together and how we make this, this fragmented world more yogic, more unite. I need to find an anechoic chamber. <laughs> That's what I've learned. <laughs> the whole focus of my business, of biosonics, is to tune the world. Right? I didn't want to, I want, that's what I do. You know, I want, if people are in tune, they're going to express themselves uniquely in their own way and they'll be able to listen because they have that stillness inside of themselves. And that's where it starts. That's what I liked about you know, what you offer is very accessible. Yes, you know? I want it accessible. Yeah. I think also I want to say that's part of my Indiana background too. Yeah. Uh, you know, very practical, uh, down to earth, you know, uh, and being able to talk to people. If I could talk to the farmers, I could talk to anybody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and I grew up talking to far farmers. I couldn't go off into some counterpoint talk and whatever. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm coming Bob. from a, yeah, I'm coming from a completely different uh, yeah. uh, cultural approach. I'm, I live always in big cities with yeah. big conservatories. I attending all these universities, yeah. conservatories. I did all these professorships, and then now I'm trying to become more and more, more and more spontaneous, more open to to people from Indiana. <laughs> and you know what? For my favorite place to go for sound and for everything and to imagine sound which is my favorite activity in the planet planet music so you know my favorite place is two hours from your house john blue my favorite place is the mass mocha yeah the mass mocha yeah the mass mocha museum see i am a, i'm a city girl so basically <laughs> when when i enjoy the most is to go to the biggest museum in the world and be and and be inside the, the, the these these monuments of you know you name it you know robert wilson and laurie anderson and all these incredible I, that's where oh my god i am and of course james turrell and that's that's where i that's where my 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 music start happening i you love know? the sound of the city yeah absolutely the sound of the city yeah, is great. i love yeah. i love the sound of the city i love the sound of the ocean the ocean yeah and ocean, or the countryside and, 
and the countryside. And, and you know, I, I am a musician because I fell in love with the birds and the birds were my my friends when, when my family was busy and no one cared about me because they were getting married. So basically, I was just talking to the birds every night <laughs> and That's every right. day. And well, the birds were telling me the story of life. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's it's really about it. I think I think maybe beyond music is about listening. But what do you think the farmers do, Sylvia? They talk to the cows, they talk to the yeah. pigs, they you know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> of course. And they listen. That the good farmers know how to listen. But and I always said to the people, I want to take you, the, the these the intellectuals and stuff in New York City who I work with. I want to take you to the Indiana State Fair for some pulp calling, <laughs> you know, because I think they could use it. You know, if you get yeah. too much in your head, yes. you need to come back to earth. Yes. You know, yeah. and, yeah. and vice versa. If you get too much earth, yeah. but somewhere in there is, is, is that in-between place, you know? That in-between place, which is the place beyond music. Yep. So that in-between place is the place where we live. Yep. The liminal space, <laughs> and, 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 and yes, of course, and liminal one, liminal two, liminal three, but yes, and I'm so, 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 I mean, I can talk to you guys for the rest of my life, so let's bring more people to the party and, yes. in, and, 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 and bring more spontaneity to the um, you know the classical aspect of music, and because it's those great, those great spontaneous, you know, more more open, more free conductors that brought the music of uh, European music to us. You know, the, the great conductors. Uh, I was, I was, I see a lot of that when I want to enjoy myself uh, uh, and rest from my own music. I just listening to. I see the conductors conducting, and I, I completely enjoy that part too. See, it's 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 kind of the opera thing. <laughs> so I, I am I, I can I can help to be a city girl. So I love you. Okay, bye bye. Thank, Thank you, you, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for our conversation today with Dr. John Beaulieu. For more information on him, please visit biosonics.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share on your favorite social media. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. To donate, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash beyond music. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Carmel Sound Lab. For more information, please visit www.carmelsoundlab.com.